listening to Off The Line. Welcome back, everybody, to Off The Line. My name's Jack. Today, I'm joined by Jake and Aiden. We're going to be reviewing some of the Premier League action from last weekend. And then we're also going to go through some uh, some managerial appointments because there's been a lot of news off the field. And then we're also going to get into uh, Canada's World Cup qualifiers that are coming up tomorrow and the next Tuesday. So we're going to discuss that as well. But uh, before we get started, uh, Jake, how are you? Hi, Jack. I'm doing great, as you can imagine. Uh, now I finally see where, where you come from when you say you're excited for an international break. It'll be a good uh, a good week off. But other than that, it's not up to much. Just it's been a it's been a good week, just a very relaxed week so far. So yeah, I can't complain at all. Aiden, how are you doing? Good. I'm I'm quite good. Just watching a lot of other sports while United are on a downturn. But yeah, just like you, happy for the international break and we'll see what happens with the direction of the club. That's it. Yeah, I guess we can start there. Manchester Derby taking place this weekend. Man City winning 2-0, uh, but it really could have been any scoreline. It was basically just they were completely dominant for the entire game uh, to the point where uh, it would just be just embarrassing loss for United and just shows how far off the level they are. But you guys will have more to say on it than I will. It just doesn't really change anything for for me, and I just don't really know how social are still in a job at this point. But Jake, how bad was that result? Oh, it was it was pretty terrible. I know we we've seen a lot of people make comparisons to the Liverpool game, and I think they're right. It's actually it wasn't it wasn't too far off. Like in this game, I don't I don't I, all I remember is is Ronaldo's shot on target. I think it was a, a left footed volley, and that's literally the only time I remember United having control the ball for like any period of time and and really being in city's half i think they might have actually just only had one shot on target so that would make sense but this one was even more demoralizing than the liverpool one because that one like you were just well, not you but like me as a united fan was just getting angry and anger over the game but then after a while you're like you start accepting it and this one is like it's like wow we're not even doing anything it was just like a different kind of of a painful loss and i didn't really explain that too well but that's just kind of the way I see it. And you even saw, I think today, De Bruyne gave an interview or something. And he said that Guardiola does like tactical training before the, before every single game. And he said that Guardiola took them off the field after 10 minutes. Cause he didn't know um, how United were going to, we're going to set up or play. So that, that, I think that really says a lot. I mean, it's, it's good to be unpredictable, but I don't know. I don't really know if it's good to be unpredictable to that extent. And yeah, there's really not much to take from this one. Cause it was another garbage game where you can't really take much out of it like like i said you know i had one shot on target and like 32 percent possession it was just it was so bad that for the second half like me and aiden were just resorting to making fun of like the commentators and then the and the official because there's nothing else to do like you, you knew united weren't coming back into it and yeah it was terrible uh, of course both goals this will be a no surprise to anyone both goals come off defensive errors and <laughs> eric Bayou, we kind of said it he's always He's good, but he's an accident waiting to happen. And of course, the accident happened here. The seventh minute was an own goal. Um, I think we, we both mentioned that he played well against uh, against Atalanta in midweek, even though he could have been at fault for both goals. He, his performance all around was good. And then here he gets an, an own goal in the seventh minute. Again, I've seen a lot of people talk about it, but it's kind of weird how he was posting pictures of his own goal on, on Twitter after the game and saying, like, no excuses or something. Like, 
I don't know why you'd want to post a picture of your own goal. And then the second goal was just a shambles. It was absolutely hilarious. Even as a United fan, because it was just so bad. That makes you laugh. There's a cross, and I think it might have been from Cancelo. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But then I think it might have just been out of Maguire's reach, but he kind of lets it go. And Luke Shaw, that's that's what, to be fair, that's what Aiden's been banging on about Luke Shaw for, for about a year now. Just, well, actually probably longer. Just how he falls asleep when he's defending. And, and you see that cross, and he just has no idea what's going on. He just... He's walking. He doesn't even look at it. I guess he assumes it's going out of bounds, but you really can't take that chance. You have to just shield it to make sure it goes out of bounds, but he just loses concentration. He has no idea what's going on. And Bernardo's just, just kind of nips in behind him and pokes it. And it, it, I think it hits De Gea in the chest or something, and it hits him in the leg and goes in. It was, it was an absolutely... I guess it was a, a comedic goal if you're not a United fan, but for me, uh, that was one that really triggered me. Um, Just mistakes all around. De Gea, obviously, I've mentioned that all season so far that he's been very good, but then in the last two games, uh, the goal for Ilicic and that goal for Bernardo Silva where he's he's conceded very soft goals, so I I hope it's not like reverting to his form for the last season or last season or two, but I don't know. Uh, like I said, I know I, I kind of talked a lot more than I thought I was going to, but there's not much to take out of this one. Like, United were still bad. No signs of encouragement. We know it was all the speculation with the manager, with the players, the the new formation, all that. There was really nothing to take from this game other than it was another loss, unfortunately, and another big loss to to a rival. So I could really, really get used to not doing that. But of course, the the, the next run of fixtures I'm nervous for as well: Arsenal, Chelsea, Watford, and and Villarreal coming up. So th- those are I know we we would say this about every single game, but those are games that United really need to get some points into really kind of improve because I'm, I'm kind of getting scared. I know United are only five points off the top four, I think, but I'm getting nervous if United continues this form that could be cut adrift. And honestly, I really do not want to watch another season of Europa League if, if United would finish fifth or sixth. Like, I'm really tired of that competition. So, you know, I need to finish in the top four. And this was kind of a blow to that, in my opinion, even though it's early on the season. But rambled a lot more than I thought I was going to. Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well. And but then you kept going on. It's just there's not really much to say because I think anyone that's realistic or that's watched United could see the last like the Liverpool and the City results coming, and maybe not the exact nature of them, or, or where it doesn't really look like the players or anyone knows what's going on, or they really care at all. But just not a positive result. That was not what I was thinking going into either of those games, and the cracks have been showing since about the Newcastle game, uh, even though Newcastle only had one shot on target or something in that game. Every time they went towards United's defense back then it showed cracks already. So yeah, just kind of waiting to see the new direction of the club and what happens. Lots of links to Brandon Rogers. And I was just going to ask you if you'd want Brandon Rogers uh, as the manager of United or who you'd prefer. I, Again, I don't always have good rationale, but I don't think I'd be too pleased with Brandon Rogers coming in. It's, I know a big part of it would be just the Liverpool connection. Um, I just don't want like a Liverpool. I know he was a United fan growing up, so that's fine. But just the fact that he was at Liverpool and he took them so close, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be pleased with that. Um, and yeah, honestly, like I know Rogers has come close. Um, with Leicester to qualifying them for the Champions League, but he hasn't actually shown that he can get them in the, in the Champions League. I know, again, much different or like a very different job. Um, much more resources are available at United, Leicester. I think you'd say player for player don't have as good of a squad as United do, even though they, they perform as a team probably better than United. But 
Um, I know he hasn't really been been tasked with the with the players that United have, so I, I can give him some leeway there. But it just feels a little bit underwhelming for me. I think at, at a club, I know I keep coming back to the size of United, but at, at a club the size of Manchester United, I think you have to have like one of the top three, top five managers in the world. I know that's not going to happen right now because they're at, at City, Chelsea, and Liverpool, but I think you have to have someone up there in the same in the same category. I just don't think Brendan Rodgers is there. I think he's a, he's a category below, but I don't know. He would undoubtedly bring like more like team cohesion, uh, but I, I, that's not really saying too much, honestly. What, what do you think about, about Brendan Rodgers? Yeah, I kind of agree with you in the sense that United would want like a big manager with big personality. But right now, I'm just wanting anyone that's not Solskjaer, to be honest, someone who can actually coach the players and, and improve improve younger players, like brought in Sancho and players like Mason Greenwood and Rashford. I don't really feel like they're getting any better right now, obviously under Solskjaer. And yeah, even though Brandon Rogers isn't, isn't like he, he ends up bottling, let's be honest, he usually messes up around the end of the season, but maybe with a bit bigger squad than he had at Liverpool, let's be honest, Suarez was carrying the whole show there. And then uh, obviously United have more resources than Leicester. I'd be willing to give it a shot. You don't really know what's ideal until until you try it. Uh, so that's basically my take. And then the final wrap for the City game is it's just way too easy for them. And I'm not looking forward to United's next game, let me tell you. But that's about it. And if Solskjaer's still there, I'm, I don't really know what formation, what lineup he's going to play. But all I can say is I'm just tired of these messages of the players saying that things are going to get better and they need to try harder because it never looks like that. And it just from top to bottom coaching and players really nothing going right. And it looks like they don't care and they don't know what's going on. So it's a, it's a total shit storm. Pardon my language, but that's about it. What do you think, Jack? Yeah. Sorry, Jack. I'll just, I'll just cut in before you. It's just like you said there and like, you don't know what formation or how they'll set up against Watford after the break. That's exactly the whole problem. It's like, United have switched to the 5-3-2 and it worked for a little bit against Spurs. And now I think that Solskjaer will just stick with the 5-3-2 until it really goes wrong. Like they'll, they'll lose like three or four in a row. And obviously I, I wouldn't be happy with the, the 5-3-2 against Watford. It's just like, I, it feels like with Solskjaer, you guys know I haven't criticized him like almost ever, but it feels like when in terms of like formation and setup, he kind of, when something goes wrong, he'll switch it somewhat and then he'll stick with that one until it goes wrong and he'll switch it again. And it just kind of follows like that same kind of pattern. It's like, I don't want United to be reactive to like teams like Watford or you know Brighton or whatever, but I think just like you have to be somewhat at this stage. Like against Watford, if it wasn't like a four three three, I'd be pretty pretty annoyed that that United were were sitting a bit more defensively against a team like Watford. But th- that's it. Sorry, Jack. I didn't mean to cut, to cut you off. What do you think? Yeah, no, you guys have pretty much touched on everything. It's just obvious at this point that it's it's done, it's finished for Ole. It's just a matter of time when they get rid of him. We know that there's no more progress to be made and he's not capable of managing this group of players or improving this group of players because he doesn't really have, uh, not to say he doesn't have an identity, it's more counterattacking, but even at this point, you're not seeing that. You didn't see that against City or Liverpool. They didn't really have any orchestrated counterattack so it's just really not it, it, it's finished let's be honest now it's just a matter of how long is it going to take before he leaves because it's inevitable at this point i don't think it's possible for him to turn it around but i do like um I, i've seen the the brendan rogers rumors i've seen those and i do agree i'd be somewhat skeptical 
uh, skeptical with Rogers because he does always seem to tail off. But, you know, like you said, even with a squad like United, they'd have a lot more depth. Um, the one thing about Rogers at, at Leicester is the fact that we, we all know they're a really well-run club and the way everything's organized and the scouting recruitment's bang on. And although Man United have a lot of great players, we know that organization and structure is more important than, than resources in, in a lot of cases. And we've seen that United at the very top uh, don't know what they're doing, like alone, like a lot of clubs and uh, to compete with, you know, like, like, like city and like Liverpool and like Chelsea, they've, they've got um, much more, much better organizational structure and elite managers and elite players. So um, United, despite whatever the media will say, it's all oh, it's Manchester United. They've spent this, 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 uh, and they're still like still look at them. It's like yeah, they're they're, they're still way off the pace, and it's it's going to take time to to correct it. But it's just a matter of times. So at least at least we'll be able to stop talking about the Solskjaer debate, though. That's one thing I'm looking forward to because it is it's tiring just having to bring it up every single. It's tiring for like rival fans it's tiring for united fans they'll just all be over but it'll be interesting to see who they bring in in like in a couple weeks i would think but yeah we'll we'll have to see let's move on now we need to talk about west ham because we mentioned them and say moy's moy's doing a good job west ham they're good they're solid uh they beat liverpool this weekend and they're really good what are what are they in are they in third right now third or fourth in the league uh, Jake probably can confirm that they're third yeah, or fourth, fourth in the position. League. Right now, oh, they're in third. Third. Just check the table. Yeah, they're in third. And uh, sorry, Jake. And West Ham in third. And I just we just have to give Moyes a lot more credit here because they're actually a really good team now. And I'm I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it, but the fact that West Ham are really good now. Um, and I, I would just like to talk about David Moyes for a little bit and shoot thoughts on if you give David Moyes a time, just because it didn't work out at Man United, where we all already knew the club was kind of in a, in a really bad place and still like not that organized. But if you give David Moyes the time to form his own team, he can be really, really good. And I think he's shown that at West Ham and I'm happy that he's finally uh you know, restored his, his reputation because West Ham now are exactly like Everton uh, used to be like when, when he coached them. And uh, part of it comes down to the fact that you need to give David Moyes full control over everything in terms of transfers and stuff, but he's good in the transfer market. And the, you know, the reason that he did so well at Everton is because he was given all of that, all of that, uh, that power to make those decisions and he completely controlled everything. And you've seen, You've seen how how the club has struggled since since Moises left Everton. So, um, yeah, West Ham they're just super impressive. Mikel Antonio he's so, he's very good. Declan Rice like we in the past have not been the biggest fans of Declan Rice, but he's really like he's a really good player now. I watch him. I'm like yeah, he's I know he's English and everything gets hyped up, but he's really good now. But uh, Jake, what are your thoughts on? like David Moyes and what he's done at West Ham. We, ha- we, ha- we can't just be like they're solid and they're good because they're, they're in third right now after 11 games and they've been really good. But what do you think? Yeah, you know I'm not the biggest David Moyes guy after the experience at United, but like you said, I know that's not all I'm going to say, but they are very good. They're definitely 
uh, performing expectations. Last year, I'd say they were probably unlucky not to finish in the Champions League places. To be honest, there was late surges they, uh, from Chelsea and Liverpool just to pass them, and and they went at the end. And maybe this is just like a little revisionist or whatever, but I, I feel like if they wouldn't have gotten the injuries to Declan Rice at the end of the season last year, and I think maybe Mikel Antonio was injured as well, I think without those two injuries, they, they could quite easily be in the Champions League right now. And you know, it's made a big difference. The, the, we, as long as we've been watching them at this new stadium, like the owners have have always come under fire from pretty much everyone, and like right, rightfully so in, in a lot of ways. But I think this one they've got it definitely like spot on. When David Moyes came back in 2019, I think a lot of people, like again, including myself, didn't think it was a it was a good appointment. Like after United, you know, he went to Sociedad, he didn't do well there, um, and then Sunderland got relegated, and then he was at West Ham, I think, for like another like 16 game spell and they they didn't stay in the league by too much so I, I didn't really see it as a as a good move but they've definitely turned that over and even their signings have been good like we mentioned the summer I think it was before um the transfer windows closed we mentioned that they had to get some depth into this team and they got a little bit of that like Kurt Zuma he sc- obviously scored this game uh, he's come in as a first choice center back you know Dawson who Let's let's be honest. None of us pr- probably thought it was too good before the start of last season. He's now a very good backup on the bench. Um, you know they've got a core of four four good center backs, which obviously you guys know I, I would like. But yeah, it has been impressive, and I don't know. They might be finishing in the Champions League places. Like we know that they're strong from set pieces is like their main strength and stuff. Which obviously not everyone. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but yeah, honestly, if. Imagine if they would have finished the Champions League last season, like I said, like without the injuries to Rice and Antonio. Imagine where they could be right now. Like once you get that Champions League money coming in, it's it's a pretty big deal, and I'm sure to a club the size of West Ham, it would have made a big difference to them. So, but yeah, they have like the the one of the best records in the league right now, seven two and two. They've got the second most amount of wins in the league, second most amount of of losses as well. Like they've been very consistent. I actually. I was gonna say I can't believe United beat them. Like I'm not surprised as well, but West Ham have been carrying the form like really well. Beating a team like Liverpool, it's not a fluke because you saw Liverpool, you saw what, what Liverpool did to United two weeks ago. So they definitely weren't lucky and to score three goals against that defense as well. Who, who a lot of people rightfully say is the the best defense in the league. Um, with with Van Dijk back in there, it's really impressive. And yeah, just leapfrogging Liverpool on the table and. Honestly, you can't. You really can't say enough words about how how well West Ham are doing right now. Especially, again, like we mentioned with Leicester, with with some of the resources they have. Of course, they're rich, but they don't have some of the resources of the teams that they're above, like Liverpool, Arsenal, United, Spurs, and yeah, they're just doing a very good job. I am impressed. And again, like I mentioned last week with Crystal Palace, West Ham's now a team for for different reasons. It's not it's not the style, but West Ham's a team that I look forward to watching as well, just to see if they could keep the form going and just see how it goes. Honestly, it'd be like, again, I'm going to keep going back to what stuff I say in previous weeks about different teams, but it'd be a really nice story if they could, if they could qualify in the Champions League place as well. Just, you know, upset, um, upset some of the bigger traditional teams who aren't, who aren't really doing so well as West Ham are. And they, they definitely deserve to be where they are right now. There's, there's not much luck involved at all. So just some foresight from David Morris have to give him some credit for that. So yeah, that's it. Uh, Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, very happy for David Moyes. Proved people like me wrong. I didn't think he was going to do this well at West Ham. And like you kind of touched on, he has kind of unearthed some gems and gotten the best out of them. Like people like Dawson, uh, not not gems, but players that probably wouldn't have been associated with being a top four Premier League team, like a, like a Thomas Suchek or someone like that. So even he can play in multiple formations. We've seen him use a five and a four. He clearly 
uh, like has a relationship and a trust with the players and instructs them what to do. And uh, it's probably why going forward now you can just count on Moyes and Allardyce to always have jobs. They're a little bit different in terms of where they'll be stable, but they're always going to be st- stable at uh, one end of the table or the other. So something to keep in mind and we can remember that in the future. And yeah, I'm really happy for him. Yeah, I think like Moyes, especially just when given his full squad, I think that in any league, he's going to be just pushing for those Champions League spots once he has that full squad. And you see, you go through their entire team, they've just got workhorses in every position. Everybody just works so, so hard. One thing I will say before we move on to the off-field news, they have been very, very, very fortunate in terms of the the injuries that they haven't got, like that they've... um, that they haven't got. We, we mentioned Rice and Antonio, Jake, you mentioned at the end of the last season and they kind of, they kind of fell off, but I, I don't know how, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I know that in terms of, especially Declan Rice, they, he's played almost every single game has barely been injured for the last two seasons and Moyes really hasn't had to rotate that much. So I guess if you have a team that is never injured, that continuity and, and uh, stability within your team, it makes things uh, easier and it's easier to progress once you get that, you know, once you get that balance and consistency, but they still, they're still in third, which is incredible. Uh, let's move on to off the field stuff. Now, Daniel Fark has left Norwich city despite their win against uh, Brentford. Now I've been critical of Daniel Fark and in the, in previous episodes, just saying like Norwich are terrible. Like when Everton beat them, Everton were terrible and they still didn't really even seem like they were going to uh, trouble Everton in that game. But I've, I've done some research and have listened to some, some podcasts and stuff from people who know a lot more than I do. And and a lot of what they were saying was like Fark, he, he has done a great job in terms of integrating the youth into Norwich. And we've seen from player sales, we've seen Ben, Ben Godfrey go, we've seen Buendia go, and and we've seen they they got like nine, I think it was 97 points at in the championship last season. So he's done some really, really good stuff. And the other thing is just the fact that Norwich, they really don't have that much money at all. Um, we've seen the reports, Frank Lampard ru- rumored to, to be heading there as manager. It's not confirmed or anything yet, but like Frank Lampard's net worth is more than the Norris city ownership which is it just puts things into perspective we we kind of say oh why don't you you're in the premier league go out and spend money like you're, you're wasting everybody's time by not trying to stay up but some clubs they, they just have to do what they have to do and um doesn't excuse the manager from losing every single every single game but it is difficult to to compete in this league they might just be caught in that that position where it that that style of play works at, in the championship but once you make that step up and need more resources it's it's a lot harder but uh jake quick quick thoughts on on uh on norwich and where they go from here yeah i'm i'm not that surprised to be honest like i, I think their record they have under under farca and like the last two Premier league seasons i think they have like six wins total so i'm really not surprised we we know like watford are um a patient club like they'll give the managers time they won't sack them after like three or four games, like like a on a bigger scale, but they're not like a Chelsea where they, they'll sack a manager after. Wait, a couple sorry, Jake, sorry, 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 sorry. What are you talking? Watford, <laughs> Watford, uh, and that's the opposite Watford. of what Watford do. Sorry, 
That's yeah, Wofford already got rid of their manager. I don't even remember his name. He was gone after like five games. Sorry, go on. We just wanted didn't want the listeners to be confused. It's all good. No, thanks for correcting me. Sorry, I meant Norwich and Chelsea to a lesser extent, but let me try that again. So they the thing is that they bought a lot of players as well. So I think that probably had an impact on like why the probably the owners were kind of why aren't you getting an, an impact out of these? We bought a lot of players for you who are a lot more proven than last time they're in the league. So I'm sure that had an impact. Um, and like you mentioned, Jack, like I almost said Watford again. Norwich are one of these clubs that are like one of the rare clubs that are actually like sustainable with like their transfer business and stuff. Like you mentioned, their their owners. She, her name is like Delia Smith. I think she's like in her 70s or 80s. But her net value is only 23 million, which is not a lot at all for like a Premier League owner. It's like the cost of like one good player. Um, so they have to do things a little bit differently with with the way, not the way that they're run, but with the amount of money that they have to work with. So I, I'm sure it's not it wasn't the easiest uh, spot for Daniel Farka as well. Like I mentioned, there are a lot of players that came in, but a lot of them are loans, like players who are still young and and need game time, like Brandon Williams and and Billy Gilmore. So that's that's tough always when you know you're going to be in a relegation battle. Um, it really takes a lot of faith to play those players, and that's what he did. So he is one of those players, like you mentioned, Jack, that, that does bring through a lot of young players. Like We could name, name a bunch, but Max Aarons, like Jamal Lewis, Todd Cantwell, all those guys came through at, at Norwich through the academy, so or through like the youth development anyway. So, yeah, that, that was impressive. I don't know. He might just be a, a championship manager. I know that sounds a bit harsh, but if, if you got someone who you've seen over like the case of three years can dominate in that division and win the league, I think on, on three different occasions, and he definitely does something right in there. Maybe I don't want to say he's not smart enough, but maybe he's too stubborn just to change his style of play. And once he's in the Premier League and you, you really can't have that when you're at the lower end of the table. I, I think most most Norwich fans would rather stay in the league in 17th position and not play too nice uh, in, instead of of playing a very like attacking style and then losing every game by two or three goals because they can't keep them out. But yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised. Obviously he did a good job, like I mentioned, but I, I think I would have come to the same decision that they did to be completely honest with you. So yeah, that, that's, that's my thoughts on that. What do you think, Aiden? Yeah, I think you guys hit on all the good points just quickly. Hope I wish him the best. I'm sure he'll find another job because like Jake and Jack both said, he always brings Norwich up to the Premier League. But yeah, I agree with Jake. The big point I was going to hit on is I feel like he just played too attacking f- football for the Premier League and he didn't really want to change. And that's why he, his teams generally concede a lot of goals at this level and 7 nothing against Chelsea. That kind of shows that he doesn't want to change when he's coming up. I know they had a red card, but he doesn't want to change when they come up against a, a good side. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe he can do it in a different league, but not the Premier League right now. Maybe he'll be proven different later on, and he's learned something from this. But he's had a couple cracks, so I severely doubt it. But I wish him the best. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he'll he'll have an opportunity somewhere else. And like I said, there's rumors that Frank Lampard's going to take over, but uh, nothing confirmed just yet. But something that has been confirmed is that Steven Gerrard has left Rangers to become the new Aston Villa manager after Dean Smith has left the other day. He didn't leave. He was, he was sacked, unfortunately. And um, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about the Dean Smith one. Like, logically speaking, I look at it and I say, okay, they did lose Jack Grealish and any team would struggle without Jack Grealish, but they, didn't br- they did bring in a bunch of players. Uh, but then on the other hand, Ings and, and Leon Bailey, these guys haven't really been available game in, game out for Villa so far. So 
a lot of people are saying it's a knee-jerk reaction, but I can kind of see why they did it. I think it's still, it's disappointing because you know Dean Smith and is, is obviously a supporter of Villa and Scott family connections. I believe his dad. I think his dad might have played for for Villa. Or he's, yeah, Jake, you would know more than me. His dad was like a, an Aston Villa fan, obviously, and he was like a steward at the club for like 50 or 60 years, something like that. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's obviously sad when you have close connections to the club. And he's done a lot, Dean Smith, to, to get them back up to the Premier League. I just think that without these uh, replacement players, not direct replacement players for Grealish, but the players brought in to kind of close the gap as a uh, – as a team almost just haven't been available and and on paper they're decent they've got some good players Aston Villa we always say we like them but we're not going to really cheer for them anymore because Jared's left Rangers like I said uh Jake what are your thoughts Dean Smith leaving and also uh how do you think Jared's going to do he obviously has done very very well at Rangers but then there's the question it's like okay it is just in Scotland but he's done well in the Europa League so thoughts on Dean Smith and, and Steven Jared? Yeah, like you mentioned, sad that Dean Smith gets fired. Um, it, it seems a bit harsh, I guess, when you just like look at it this season after just a run of five losses. I know that's quite a bit of games to lose. Their, their last point that they gained was against United Old Trafford when they won 1-0. But um, in, in 2021, I think they, I, I saw that they've lost 23 games in total over the course, obviously, of last season and this season. So that's, that's really a lot of games to lose. Um, so it kind of seemed like something was, I don't want to say like broken because that's just very like over-exaggerating it, but um, not everything was functioning exactly as smoothly as, as it should. And obviously, like you like you mentioned, once losing uh, Jack Rich as well, it really makes it harder because he was, as, as we know, like the focal point of that team. So it made it definitely, definitely harder for them. But yeah, just for Steven Gerrard, um, like you mentioned, he, he did really well at, at, at Rangers in Scotland. Um, stop Celtic from winning 10 league games in a row or 10 league titles in a row. Um, and I think they're still in first place in Scotland this season. They haven't played as well, but I think they literally didn't lose last season. I think they were invincible. So um, that's, that's always going to happen. And yeah, I understand like Steven Jarrett obviously wants to be in the Premier League, but for me, it's a bit of a weird one, not because Aston Villa's position, because I don't think they're going to be in any danger of relegation because they have really good players. But at Aston Villa, like he's probably not going to be pushing for Europe even though I, I could be proven wrong like easily, but I don't see Aston Villa as like a team like finishing sixth or seventh. I feel like they there'd be there would have to be maybe eight or nine teams ahead of them in, in order for that. So it is a weird one. Like but at the same time I guess the owners have a lot of money. I think they're like the third richest in the league. So they might just be buying better and better players as the years go by. But like right now with the squad that he has there, they can be very exciting like you mentioned. But I don't again like I said I don't I don't really see them breaking into like the top six or the top four even. Um, so that's kind of a weird one because not not just because of that, but because we know he wants to go to Liverpool. Like he said it, the Liverpool owners have said it. I think Jurgen Klopp said it like back back when Jared was coaching like the under 23s or whatever. He said that that Jared obviously wants to come to Liverpool after Klopp. Um, so that would be a weird one because I don't know like what he would have to achieve at Aston Villa to impress Liverpool because if he finishes like 11th or 12th, is that really going to be enough for Aston Villa or for Aston Villa? Sorry, is that going to be enough at Aston Villa for Liverpool to say that he's definitely the right man to hire them next? Um, I don't really think so. And if obviously he breaks into like the top four, like by some crazy occurrence, like David Morris has done, obviously, like by all means, Liverpool should hire him. But I don't really see that being the case. It kind of to a different extent, but it kind of has like a vibe of like 
when Frank Lampard went back to Chelsea after doing well at Der- Derby County. Um, again, like we know, like once he became a manager, obviously Chelsea was always go- going to be his goal. And once he did like relatively well at a club, they they hired him, and we kind of saw how it ended. So I don't know. I I understand again. Sorry, like I Jake. Mentioned- yeah. Sorry, Jay. I just I think it might be a little bit unfair to Gerard to compare him to Lampard. Yeah. I think his achievements with the Rangers are a lot more than what Lampard did with Darby. But no, no, sorry, continue. No, no, you're definitely right. Like I didn't. I was just going off of like the way how he, he performed at a club previously, and then the the club where he made his name as a player. I guess would hire him, like you mentioned. And Gerard also has a lot more experience than Lampard does. I think Gerard's been in the job three or four years, and Lampard was only at Derby County for one year, so. I'm not saying that like, he's going to be a, a flop for sure. I just think like even we see with Solskjaer, like once you're a player at a club and then you kind of come back as a manager, it doesn't always end end the way it would, but or end the way you like most people would want it to be. But yeah, maybe I was being unfair on that one. So I'll, I'll give you guys that one. I just I think it'll take a lot to imp- impress a Liverpool um, owners, or it'll be hard without really showing enough for a Liverpool manager. But I could easily be wrong. We, we know I'm, I'm definitely biased against him as well. So that probably has something to do with what I'm saying. So, yeah, Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, I'm very excited to see Lan- or Gerard, sorry, in the Premier League. It's not a 100% like apples to apples comparison because we know the Scottish League, well, generally we think, well, we know it's much weaker. So I'm just interested to see how he translates, obviously, because there's always been that longstanding question especially back in the day, could Rangers and Celtic kind of do it in the, in the top of the Premier League, which which I don't really think so, obviously. But I'm interested to see how he translates and uses 4-3-3 if he uses that. And I know uh, he's definitely gotten great returns out of out of his fullbacks, especially someone like Tavernier. So maybe you could unleash, unleash someone that's good going forward, like Matty Cash. And uh, he's also featured some inside forwards. So we know Watkins can play that role and come inside alongside Ings. So I think that could be very good for him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just excited to see it. And uh, I think I kind of disagree with Jake in a way. I think that this is kind of a platform job in terms of getting to Liverpool. I think it sets him up perfectly. And I don't really see why it would have to be right away just after this season that he'd have to go straight to Liverpool. I think he'd have to achieve Europa League next season. Obviously, that depends on Liverpool's situation at the time. They probably want to get the project up and running and don't want to have to wait for him. But yeah, I think safety is his uh, number one concern right now, obviously. And I think he'll achieve that just because there's so many other poor sides in the Premier League right now in terms of keeping goals out of their net. That's all on Jared. I'm excited to see it for sure. Yeah, I think that I think it's a perfect move for him. Um, in like an opportunity that he could use a platform to step up into the Liverpool job. I think that people might be underestimating his, his education in terms of coaching at Liverpool. And we know how well, like we know all of their academy teams have been pretty much taught exactly how to play a club system. That's why the transition is so flawless in the first team. And they're really starting to bring some players through and, uh, if Jared, if he's got the same philosophies, which uh, I haven't, I haven't seen anywhere near as much of Rangers as as, as most people. Aiden, you've probably seen the most of them out of all of us. But uh, if his if his philosophies are are anything like like Jurgen Klopp, then I think that the his potential playing style with Aston Villa could be pretty high. 
and the actual coaching, the drills and the methods that he uses to improve players uh, could be really interesting to see. So it's definitely, it's definitely someone to keep an eye on. And I, I think that, um, that especially if I'm just making that, I know Jake, you said they are slightly different, but compared to somebody like Lampard, I think that Jared's his background and previous experience and going undefeated in any league is, is very, very impressive. And they were good in the Europa league. So It'll be interesting to see how it goes in the short term, but I think our, our main thing is that in Aston Villa fans are going to be really annoyed because now it's just going to be about when he does well for Villa, it's just going to be all about how he's going to go to Liverpool, which would probably, that would drive me insane as well. But uh, yeah, from our bias perspective, hopefully he doesn't do, <laughs> doesn't do very well because we, uh, yeah, so we're not the biggest fans, but uh, let's move on to the final talking point today. Both Everton and I'm not even talking about the Everton game this week. It nil nil draw with Spurs. I will talk about it. Boring game, nothing to be said. Two teams. We know Spurs are going to get better because they've got an amazing manager. So it doesn't really matter. Yet one day training. Everton, very very average, if not below average. Really boring team to watch. Nothing new there. So let's talk about the international breaks because Everton and United are struggling. And now we have a team we can actually get behind and actually get excited about Canada taking on Costa Rica. We're recording this on a Thursday. They play against Costa Rica tomorrow in, uh, I think it's Edmonton. So Alfonso Davies will be returning back to his hometown. Uh, and then, then Canada take on Mexico on Tuesday at home. We already know they tied Mexico away in a really, really important uh, draw at the Azteca. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts or expectations for this two-game international window? Yeah, like we mentioned last time, we talked about Canada. Canada are kind of the draw masters, so I wouldn't be surprised if for if for like two points or something. But I, I would hope three points. I'd be happy with four points. I'd be like I'd be pretty happy, and then six points. Like obviously, that'd be obviously perfect, but. I'm still nervous when it comes to Mexico because Mexico have by far like the most depth in the in the region. But I don't know. Canada's pushed them close the last two games. I think they lost in uh, in the Gold Cup semifinal, like the 118th minute or something like that. And then, uh, uh, like you just mentioned, Jack would draw at the Azteca back in September, I believe it was, or October, whatever, um, in one of those months. So that was that was obviously impressive. And Costa Rica, like we know, like they're a good team in the in the region. But if Canada really like Teams that deserve to get to the or not deserve, sorry, teams that have like aspirations to get to the World Cup have to be being smaller, like nations like Costa Rica and and Honduras and, and Panama. So for that one, I'm I'm just expecting a draw, like or not a draw, sorry, a win. Um, Mexico, like I'd be happy with a draw. To be completely honest, I don't want to come off as like a defeatist mentality or whatever, but a draw against the best team in the region by far. I, I, I would be okay with that. Um, drawing them twice, obviously, I would just give Canada a lot of confidence as well. They also, uh, before we go to Aiden, they also have Atiba Hutchinson and Kyle Lahren back. I read they're both fit. They weren't fit last international break, but Canada still did really well without them. But we've seen Atiba Hutchinson still. He's like 38 years old. He still controls the midfield. Yeah. And he's, a, well, he's the captain, so he's one of the most important players. So he's going to be a huge boost. Yeah, that'll make a big difference. I wouldn't be surprised to 
honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to not see him play against Costa Rica just to save him for the Mexico game. Because I think the games, like you mentioned, they're on Friday and a Tuesday. So that's not too much time in between. Um, I guess it's a plus that Canada doesn't have to travel back and forth. Like you mentioned, both games are in Edmonton. So that's good. Um, and yeah, I am pleased. The Costa Rica game, unfortunately, I'll be at work for that one. It starts at 9.05 p.m. So I won't be able to see it. Um, the game will, will finish at right as I finish my shift. So... I'll try and keep an eye on that one as much as possible. But the Mexico game, I'm very excited for. It falls on a Tuesday. I don't have to work at the same time, 9 o'clock. I love just these night games. And, of course, uh, when it comes to Canada, I love to watch Canada play the game as well. So I'm really looking forward to the, to the game against Mexico on Tuesday. I'm kind of ignoring the one tomorrow. So I'll check for the result. But the Mexico one, that's when the, the real test is, I, I guess you could say. So, yeah, very excited for that one. And six points incoming. What do you think, Aiden? Every team wants to win every game, of course. I think four points from these games would be the goal, I think, for the, the team, really. Like you already said, beating Costa Rica uh, and then drawing against Mexico. Don't want to do the defeatist thing, but I think that would be more than acceptable, of course. And yeah, I know it was a friendly, but but Mexico, they dropped the friendly a while back against El Salvador, I believe it was, so. Oh, no, it was uh, Ecuador, I think. Anyways, one of those E-teams. Anyways, main thing is just four points and seeing the young players play for Canada, as well as the fact that, like we talked about last time we were on about Canada, is that just actually getting recognition for the sport in the country, which hasn't really been a thing over our lifetime. So, yeah, uh, just excited to watch the games, which... I swear when we were kids, they wouldn't even be like showing these games on TV. They were so irrelevant, even if they were playing. So I'm happy about that. That's it. Hopefully four points, but I always hold my breath because I haven't had too much success in the past, but it looks different this time around. Yeah, I think that that's the key. We've said it before. Just beat the teams, especially at home, at home beat the teams that you're supposed to be beating. Um, I think with this Canada squad and with the, uh, with the fitness levels, they're all, they seem to be fully fit. They should be able to beat Costa Rica at home and then against the best team. So when you're looking at Mexico and the States, just don't lose to them home or away, just don't lose to them. And then that should be good enough. Um, did you guys see that John Herdman after the last game said that Drake just started contacting Alfonso Davies? What, what, what do you guys think? This is actually a genuine question. I know it's a joke as Drake and everything. It, when Drake gets him, if Drake, how, how much more popular do you think it would be to support the national team if Drake just started promoting it, Jake? Yeah, I think it actually would make a big difference. I think, again, I'm not going to get too into this because, like you said, it's, it's like kind of a joke. But even with the Raptors, you see it, he's like the ambassador or whatever he is on the payroll and stuff. And you've seen, obviously, it helps that the team was, was better as well in the last couple of years. But you saw the popularity really go up, so. Honestly, a lot of people who don't know anything about Canadian soccer would start following it just because Drake does. So it would make a big difference. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's that Drake just kind of runs the show, I guess, with whatever he chooses to to follow or, or hop on the bandwagon for the most part. Because didn't see him doing this when the woman won the Olympics. Just just throwing that out there, which is a huge accomplishment. Um but yeah, like like we said, just win the games that you're supposed to win, tie the games against the best teams, and that should be enough. Canada, they're currently on 10 points after six games played. They're sitting in third, uh, which is in an automatic qualification spot. 
top three get automatic qualification. Then the fourth goes to the inter confederation playoff, which would be against some team from like Australia, New Zealand, that area around there. But I think the goal is to get, well, obviously to try to win, but just to get that top three spot and get automatic qualification. So they're currently on track to do it. I think that because it is an international break, our next podcast, because that basically wraps it up for this week. I think next week we could probably do one on Wednesday and review these games. And then just if there's any other news that comes out, but uh, you guys, how's that sound for you guys? Sounds perfect. I can't wait for it. I cannot wait. I'm, ho- I'm hoping there's some uh, Manchester United news. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> there we go. Aid's hopeful. Uh, I don't know if we're going to hear any positive news from United from what we've seen, but we are hopeful for the Canadian national team and hopefully they can pick up full points this weekend. But like I said, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. Thank you very much. Bye.